Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. You guys want to have some fun this morning? Yeah. Good, I'm talking about tithing. Yeah. Wah, wah, yep. Last week, we, we started this conversation about the genius of generosity, and we looked at it through the lens of the life of Abraham. And one of the conclusions we came to is that God has invited us to be a generous people. And to be generous means to posture yourself in such a way that you are readily able and readily available to distribute life to people in need, that God has kind of released us as his representatives in that way. And I heard a story this week. I got a text from a friend who said, John, as you were teaching, um, I wasn't listening to you. That was okay. Uh, He said, "I, I heard the Lord drop a name and a number into my heart. And I knew in that moment that he was asking me to be generous. And and he, he, we talked throughout the week, and he said, I'm, I'm kind of nervous about doing this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be giving some money to someone I don't have a close relationship with, and, and I don't know how they're going to take it. And we, we kind of came to the conclusion that, buddy, it's not, it's not how they take it. It's whether or not you're being obedient to Jesus. He's like, yeah, I know I'm going to do it. And, and he sent me a text a couple days ago, and he said, I, I did it. I, I, I gave it to her. I met her in the parking lot. And I'm like, okay, that's a little creepy, but I understand. <laughs> understand. I, I said, how did it feel? And he said, it felt great. It felt really good. And I'm like, yes, it does feel really good. Because what you were doing was stepping into your assignment to live as a generous person. You were stepping into your identity as a fully devoted Christ follower. So absolutely, it felt good. Now, when, I heard, when you heard me say, I want to talk to you about the tithe, some of you probably went, well, that's not going to feel very good. But hear me, same thing I said last week. Guys, I really don't want anything from you. I I, I want nothing from you, but I want so much for you. I want you to be able to experience what it means to feel fully alive, to to be able to, like my friend said, that feels good. I'm, I'm living in step with God as a generous person. I've talked to a lot of people over the years. You know, you invite them to church. and They go, I don't want to come to church. Well, why don't you want to come to church? Church just wants my money. And, you know, sadly, some churches really do present themselves that way. But tithing is not about the church wanting your money. Generosity isn't about the church wanting your money. Generosity is about God wanting your heart because he wants to release you into a measure of freedom that you can't have outside of stewardship. Now, I didn't always feel this way about tithing. I mean, can you tell I'm excited? Like, who gets excited about tithing? I do. But it didn't start that way. When I was a kid, my parents decided they were going to teach me, you know, kind of good financial practices, and so they were going to give me an allowance. And so every two weeks, they gave me $10. Fat city, man. I was rich. This was awesome. Ten bucks every two weeks. So the first week, my dad was going to give me my allowance. He sat me down, and, and he gave me a five and five ones, which I'm like, hey, just give me a 10 spot, dad. I'm good. You know, I know how this works. But then he says this to me. He goes, 10% is a tie that goes straight to God. 30% go straight into your bank account, and you get to spend the remaining 60%. And I'm like, well, <laughs> slow your roll, Dad. You didn't give me a $10 allowance. You just gave me a $6 allowance. I feel like I got gypped. And between you and me, I wasn't super good at putting that 30% in the bank. And about every three months, my dad would come and go, hey, grab your bank. We're going to put your money in the piggy bank, and we would have a come-to-Jesus conversation because apparently I can't count to three. 
Every week, I would take, every two weeks, I would take my dollar and I would put it in the offering. And it felt to me, to be honest, like a God tax. You want to be a Christian? Great. Jesus will accept you, but it's going to cost you 10%. There was nothing liberating, nothing life-giving, nothing exciting about it. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And, and I knew my dad was going to ask, right, did you tithe? Of course I tithe, Dad, because tithing is what we do, and it's awesome. It wasn't an opportunity for me. It was a burden. I was living out the spiritual practice out of a sense of obligation. When, when you try to live out a spiritual practice without understanding the spiritual principle, it becomes legalism. It's something that you do because you have to do it. When you try to live out a spiritual practice without understanding the spiritual principle, it's legalism. And Paul says the law leads to death, but the spirit to life. So we want to have a conversation today to get us out of the realm of legalistically responding to God. Here's your God tax and becoming alive by the spirit as we begin to live out a spiritual principle. Now, you might be thinking this morning, John, I have been in church for a hot minute. I get it. You don't need to teach me this. That's great. I'm, I'm really, I'm super happy for you. Totally pumped. Um, here's what I would encourage you to do. Listen this morning with an ear to explain it to someone else. Because statistics would tell us that most people don't get it. Or if they don't get it, they aren't living it. Vanco did a study recently that said 5% of evangelical Christians tithe which means 95% don't. 95% of evangelical Christians haven't discovered how free they can become when they live as stewards. On average, an evangelical Christian gives 4%, which is great, but it's not a tithe. And we're gonna talk in a few minutes about what a tithe actually is. So if you're starting to get nervous and you think, John, you're getting ready to tell me what to do with my money and I'm not super happy about that, relax. I am not gonna tell you what to do with, God's, with your money. 100%. Uh, slipped right there. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tell you what the Bible says we should do with God's money. But more importantly, I want to explain the why. And then, if this isn't something that you've been able to experience yet, I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you, I dare say challenge you, to test God and see if this actually works. Now, before we talk about the practice of tithing, I want to talk about the principle of stewardship. We touched on this a little bit last week, but I want to go back <clears throat> to the very beginning. Now, a steward is a caretaker of someone else's property, okay? Difference between owner and steward. Owner, it's mine. I do whatever I want. Steward, it's yours. What do you want me to do with it? They utilize the steward's resources, or excuse me, the owner's property in order to accomplish whatever objectives the owner has in mind. First five verses, first five words of the Bible. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. God created the earth exactly the way he wanted it to be. Set it up according to his own plan, according to his own design, and because he made it, because he designed it, he owns it. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And when he created his creation, then he created Adam and Eve, and he put them in the garden as caretakers. As stewards, I've made this garden. I want you to take care of it. You get to enjoy it, but you also have a job to do. This is Genesis 1, verse 28. He says, God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and increase in number. 
when I used to read that, be fruitful and multiply, I thought that was one thing. It's not. He's saying, be fruitful. As you take care of my creation, make it thrive and increase in number. These are two different parts of this conversation. So he says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is called the creation mandate, the creation responsibility. God says, I want you to steward my creation. That's what it means when he says rule over it. I want you to make it fruitful. I want you to cause it to flourish. I want, when people look at the goodness of creation, I want them to see the glory and the goodness of God. So in God's perfect plan, there was a purpose for mankind's existence beyond relationship with God. Not separate from, but in addition to. We were created with, for relationship with God. And for all that, we say, thank you, Jesus. But we were also created to steward his creation. When God created mankind, he also created mission. Make this flourish. You have a job to do. This is what the owner, God, told Adam and Eve, the stewards, to do. Manage my creation, my property, in a way that causes it to thrive. Now, if it had all been left there, it would have been amazing, but we know the rest of the story. The devil comes along behind and immediately tries to corrupt God's good plan. He tempts Adam and Eve. Did God really say, I mean, can we really trust his plan? When Adam experienced temptation, he tried to rewrite the story. He tried to change the game plan. He said, in essence, I don't want a steward. I don't want to manage. I want to rule. This looks pretty good to me. I want to get my arms around it. Reality didn't change. It was not altered. But Adam's perception of reality did. It was still all God's. But Adam thought in that moment, you know what? I think this could be mine. He said, I'm going to determine what's right and wrong. I'm going to decide what's best for me. And I'm going to make creation work for my benefit. And so sin entered the world, and we began, to, we began to respond to our environment, to God's creation, as if we were no longer stewards, as if we were owners. We began to live into a lie. In regards to God's creation, if you try to live as an owner rather than a steward, you become a slave. We surrendered our liberty, our freedom. When you try to live as an owner rather than a steward, you actually become a slave because our dependence moves from our maker to our money. And it's no longer what God has provided. It becomes what I have to hold on to. Our security, our happiness, our freedom, our hope all becomes tied to our money, to how we can hold on to or increase our resources. So thinking he was gaining freedom, Adam actually sold himself into slavery to feed his carnal, his natural nature. This is not an old lie. The devil is still utilizing this lie to this day. And the reason he's still telling this lie is because it's still effective. He'll still tell people, you don't need to surrender to God. You can take control over everything. And guys go, well, that sounds like a good idea. And they find themselves in bondage. Creation belongs to God. God created us to steward it. But through Adam, we became slaves. 
And as slaves, we were no longer in any position to, to fully or accurately or fruitfully steward God's creation. We, we had no idea what the owner actually wanted done with it. We mistakenly thought that we were the owner. And rather than causing it to flourish, we caused it to fade. But God doesn't give up on his plans. And so Jesus says in John 8, he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sins, you're a slave to sin. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son, a daughter, belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus, seeing the mess that we had made when we tried to respond to him as owners rather than stewards, says, I'm going to step into that mess and I'm going to recreate what I've always wanted it to be. And he came and he purchased our freedom through his blood and his death and then his resurrection on the cross, and he reestablished us. He pulled us out of slavery and into his family, reestablishing the relationship that was necessary for us now to begin to steward his creation. When we surrender ourselves to his will, when we apprentice ourselves to Jesus' teachings, we also take back up the mantle of stewardship. Mantle is a word that means a robe or a cloak of authority. And Jesus came to save us from our sin, and for that we say thank you. He, he came to secure our eternity, and for that we say thank you. But when Jesus saved us, he didn't just save us to hunker down and wait till he comes back. He re-engaged us on mission. The creation mandate that God said to Adam, it's your job to steward my creation. Understand, God never took it back. That mandate was still out there. We just couldn't live into it. But when we're born again and the spirit of God indwells us, we are now able to live into not only the relationship, but the mission for which we were created. Are you with me so far? All right, here we go. I got an amen right there. Stewardship means... That everything you have in your life is a gift from God, down to the very breath in your body, which means as stewards, take tithing off the table, as stewards, there is no part of my life that I am not supposed to bring to Jesus and say, how do you want me to utilize this? My life, my time, my skills, my family, and oh yeah, even my money. Guys don't like to hear this. We're independent. But the Bible says you can get super excited about your independence, but you don't even belong to yourself. You're no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. So I look in the mirror and I go, oh, shoot, that doesn't belong to me. There's no aspect of what I see right there that I get to look at and go, mine, I'm going to do whatever I want. This is stewardship. I got to look in the mirror and from time to time say, Lord, am I stewarding that the way you want me to? And listen, because he didn't just save me. He sent me. This is why I get excited when we talk about generosity and things like tithing. Because it is, it is inherently tied to this principle of stewardship. And the principle of stewardship is essential for us to be released in our assignment from God. We can't live out our calling if we think we're calling the shots. You tracking with me? Yeah, not a lot of amens on that one. Like, now you're starting to poke the bear, John. You might want to settle down. 
Tithing is a part of stewardship, but it's not the entire story. Jesus told his disciples a parable, a story, to help explain the relationship between an owner and a steward. So this is a long passage of scripture, so take a deep breath and here we go. Jesus is talking and he said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and divided among them 10 pounds of silver. And he said, invest this for me while I'm gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want him to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You're a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will be governor of 10 cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, said the king. You will be a governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money. I kept it safe. I was afraid because you're a hard man to deal with and you take what isn't yours and you harvest crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man that takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 pounds. But master, they said, he already has 10 pounds. Yes, the king replied. And to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. There's a lot in there. I'm just going to share a couple of thoughts. Here we go. Thought number one. This is Luke 19. Um, after Jesus takes, tells this parable, he starts his journey to Jerusalem. He arrives on what we now call uh, Palm Sunday. This is a week before Jesus goes to the cross. A lot of times Jesus told his disciples parables and they're like, yeah, we don't get it. There is no way they could have possibly missed who was who in this parable. Jesus, clearly the nobleman, you and I, clearly the servants. The underlying question in the parable is what are you going to do with what I have been given you, what I have given you until I return? God's the owner, we're the servants, and he's saying, what are you going to do with what I've entrusted to your care? In other words, God wants a return on his investment. God's a pretty good investor. He doesn't just throw stuff out willy-nilly. And if you're under 40, I'll explain willy-nilly another day. <laughs> Randomly, haphazardly. Um, he told Adam, I've created the garden. I've created you. I've got a job for you. Make it fruitful. I want a return on my investment. The nobleman gives money to his servants and says, invest this for me. Invest it. I want a return. He doesn't say, here's 10 pounds of silver. Have a party. Have a great time. Obviously, they are resourced as they are working for him. But he says, I want you to put this into play and I want you to do it for me. When God entrusts things to our care, he actually wants a return on his investment in our lives with the skills, the talents that he's given us, with the time that he's given us, with the money that he's given us, with the family that he's given us. God wants us to manage it in a way that it shows a return for him. Of all the ways 
God could have brought his will to effect on earth. I mean, we already saw Genesis 1. He just speaks and it's done. The way he's chosen to do it, catch this, is through you and me. God, with his massive heart and infinite wisdom, basically says the best way for me to accomplish this is to send out a ton of mini-me's into the world who will take what I've given and they will cause earth to thrive, carrying the message of the cross, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and meeting people in their areas of need. God could have done it any other way, but he looked at you and said, that's my plan. This is stewardship. And this is why it's not a burden. It's an opportunity. And this is why I get so stinking excited about it. God said, I'm going to trust you with this. Let's make it awesome together. Okay. You want to return on your investment. I get it. Second thing, God blesses faithful stewards. He's not looking for guys that are just going to kind of punch a clock and go through the grind. He's looking for people that he can invest in and he can reward. The first two servants bring back a return. Ten times, five times what God's given. And the master, in response to what they've done, increases what they have influence over. There wasn't a deal. They didn't sign a contract. If you, if you bring back one more, I'll give you a city. Two more, you'll give it two cities. Three more, three cities. They were just doing what they knew they were supposed to do as stewards. But God with the love that he has and his own principle of stewardship is looking for people through whom he can release resources. So he finds these two that have taken what he's given and turned it into more and goes, I can trust you. I'm going to give you more than you had. I don't think he said you can have a governorship of a city to sit back on your keister and wait for me to return. His expectation was what they'd been doing, they would continue to do. My friend Keith says it this way. When God realizes that he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. When he realizes that you are a man or a woman through whom his blessing can be extended to others, he will make sure you have what you need to represent him well. When he knows he can trust you to manage his resources, he will give you more. Not for your bank account, but for his kingdom. This has been mistaught so many times. I used to stay up late at night when I was in college. And around, you know, one o'clock in the morning, I'd watch televangelists. I don't know why. It was like watching a slow train wreck. Because they would be going, if you send me $100, God will give you. That's not the way this works. God's not going to give you a new boat if you give him 20 bucks. That's not the purpose of stewardship. If it was, man, I'd be throwing down 20s left, right, and center. Let me, let me tell you. The, the point of the parable is when God realizes that you are prepared to be a vessel through whom his blessing flows to other people, he will keep that pipeline open. Remember, when he made mankind, he made mission. And God will fund his mission. If he, if he realizes we're just going to hold on to whatever we have control over, we're, we're going to try to preserve what God's given instead of investing, us, investing it in his kingdom work, then, well, then the blessing shuts off. That's the story of the third servant. John, that's not fair. Maybe not. Nobody ever said God was fair. They said he was just, and he's pretty smart. So if the return on investment comes from Wendy and Tyler and John doesn't do anything, God's probably going to start stop sending everything to John. He's going to send more to Wendy and Tyler because they're going to release it into his kingdom. 
Stewardship is based on trust. I trust God, and God can trust me. I trust that whatever I give away for the sake of his kingdom will not leave me diminished. More will return to me. And it's not a matter of scope. He says, because you've been faithful with little, I'll give you more. Guys, if we're not faithful with little, if we're waiting for the more before we're going to be generous, we won't be faithful and we won't be generous with more because we will have taught ourselves to hold on, to hunker down, and to use what we have for our own well-being. We start when we have very little. We align with a spiritual principle, and then God, in his faithfulness, is faithful to give. This is the principle of stewardship. If we care for God's resources, or excuse me, we do care for God's resources in whatever way he sees fit because we realize it doesn't belong to us. That's the principle of stewardship. Let me talk to you about the practice of tithing. And I will tell you this, I am just as excited about the principle of tithing. And if you're not, I hope you will be in about another eight minutes. Here's the first thing I want to tell you about tithing. Don't buy into the lie that God wants your money. Hear that all the time. Do not buy into the lie that God wants your money. We've already established, first of all, that it's his money. Secondly, God wants your heart. And how you treat his money reflects whether or not you have his heart. How we treat the tithe says to God whether or not, not he has my money, but whether he has my heart. God doesn't need my money. He flat out does not need my money to fund his work. Where do I get that? Genesis 1, God spoke, everything was. Now, he has, in his wisdom, chosen to fund his work through me, but it's not dependent on me. This is his invitation to allow me the joy of partnering with him. So what's the tithe? Tithe means 10%. Israel was meant to bring a tithe or a tenth, 10% of their resources to the temple as an offering. God instituted the tithe for a number of reasons. One, it was for the care of the priesthood. When they all came into the promised land, the 12 tribes of Israel, 11 tribes were given an allotment in the land, and they lived off the land. The 12th tribe, the Levites, the priests were not. They were cared for out of the offerings that went into the temple. Secondly, the tithe that came to the temple was meant to position Israel to care well for their poor. So if I was in need, I would go to the temple, and there would be resource for me. If everyone who considers themselves a Christian tithed, there would be an additional 139 billion, with a B, dollars annually released into mission. This is what God's idea was for the temple. It means we could take care of student debt. It means health care wouldn't be an issue. It means we could care for single-parent families. It means we could help people find homes because we were sharing in common all that God has released to us. It's not the case yet. But I say yet on purpose because I have hope for the future. At some point, we're all going to figure out that God's way is the best way. Third reason that God instituted the tithe was because he wanted to ensure that the windows of heaven, the resources of heaven, remained available to his people. And so he gave them a practice or a habit where they could continue to posture themselves before the Lord as stewards by bringing the tithe. Now, if you've studied any of this, you might already know that the tithe was a beginning point for the people of Israel. It wasn't an end point. 
on average, they gave a slightly more than 30% of their income away. Interesting fact, people who have discovered what it means to tithe also give more than their 10% away. 77% of those who tithe give above and beyond the tithe. They were an agrarian people, so they would bring what, what the Bible calls their first fruits. They would bring the first 10% of their crops, first 10% of their flocks, their harvest to God. Why the first tenth? A couple of reasons. One, they're making a statement, God, we are putting you first. We are meeting your needs before we ever go to look at our own. Secondly, I think it's because if we leave the tithe for last, we usually find out there's nothing left. That's been my experience. Now, getting ready to land the plane. You still with me? Okay. From time to time, God's people would struggle with this, and they would assume the posture of an owner instead of a steward. They would, they would hold on. They would stop living generously. And so from time to time, God would come along and say, we need to have a conversation. That's what's happening in Malachi chapter 3. God says to them, return to me, and I'll return to you. But they ask rhetorically, how can we return when we have never gone away? What does that mean? It means they were still present in the land of Canaan, but they had begun to withdraw from God in their hearts. How do we know that? He says to them, should people cheat God? You've cheated me. You ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do so, if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. NIV says the floodgates of heaven. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not far from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of armies, heaven's armies. God says, bring the whole tithe. Not the 4%, not the 5%, but the 10%. This promise I'm about to make to you is predicated on your willingness to demonstrate your your stewardship by bringing me the first 10% of all I have given to you. If you do this, if you steward what I've given you by entrusting the first 10% to me, I will open the floodgates of heaven for you. What is a floodgate? Let me show you. This is a floodgate. It is the last restraint holding back an outpouring of something powerful or substantial. When I read this verse and I look at this picture, I see that lake as the resources of heaven. I see the lake as everything God would like to release to his people. And I hear him saying, all this is available to you to join me on mission. And my hand is on the lever. I'm ready to pull it down. And the only thing that you need to do to activate this is to step into your role as a steward and demonstrate your willingness by releasing to me the first 10%. And when you release to me the first 10%, all of that stuff stored up there, it starts coming out the floodgates. With a volume, the Bible says that you can't, I will bring a blessing so great to you that you can't even contain it. He says, I'll protect what you have. That's what it means when it says the grapes won't, won't fall from the vine before their, their time. And he says, and, and I'll give you more. Your crops will be abundant. Now, I don't have any crops. So to me, the Lord might say, your tires aren't going to wear out at 40,000 miles like the warranty says. You laugh. I've seen it. 
This is what that passage means. I will give you what you need and I will protect what you already have. I don't have grapes, I got tires. Come on, Lord, take care of your car. There is a reciprocal relationship with tithing that just blows my mind. Abraham, right after the story we talked about last week when Lot's being a knucklehead, he gets captured in a, in a war of the kings and Abraham's gotta come pull him out. And Abraham wins, defeats the other kings. He's walking along in Canaan and he comes across a man named Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Melchizedek means righteousness. Salem will soon become Jerusalem. You with me? Melchizedek sees Abraham and he blesses him. And in response to that blessing, Abraham tithes to Melchizedek. So Abraham tithes in response to blessing. Malachi says, I will bless in response to your tithe. This is a circle I want to get caught up in. I'm blessed, so I tithe, so I'm blessed, so I tithe, so I'm blessed, so I tithe. Do you see, do you see what I'm saying there? Abraham was blessed, so we tithe. Gratitude, response, stewardship. Malachi says, if you tithe, I'm going to bless. God's got a crazy way of doing really cool stuff. This is just one of them. Okay, I got to finish. I'll give you what you don't have. I'll protect what you do have. And then he makes this statement. I dare you. Okay, it doesn't say I dare you, but it says I dare you. God says, <laughs> he says, put me to the test. Now, the first time I read that, I'm like, hold on, slow your roll. I know my New Testament. And when Jesus was tested, when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, the devil looks at him and says, I think you should go up to the top of the temple and throw yourself off. Because if I remember right, the Bible says that he will command his angels concerning you, that they're going to take care of you, catch you before your foot hits the ground. Jesus puts his shoulders back, looks at the devil and says, it is written, thou shalt not test the Lord your God. Testing God, big no-no, except for here. God says, I double dog dare you. Test me in this. Not because he's stressing you out, but because he's got his hand on the lever and he's ready to open the floodgates. Try it. See what happens. This is one of the ways that you can demonstrate your stewardship. And guys, you need to understand that I am so ready to pour out a blessing in response to you because once I see, I can get it through you. I guarantee you, I am going to get it to you. Amen. Amen. Okay. Y'all can do whatever you want. I'm preaching myself happy this morning. Like, let's go. All right. Almost done. I hope you hear an invitation to experience joy and freedom and liberty. And you don't feel a sense of shame, compulsion, or condemnation. Because the Apostle Paul says those three are really lousy reasons to give. Matter of fact, he says you shouldn't do it if that's what is driving your giving because he knows that's going to lead you down the road to legalism. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly in response to pressure. Don't give in response to pressure. This is an act of worship. God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will always provide generously all you need and then you Always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others.
Stewardship, tithing. It's about trusting God and wanting to align with him and align with his word. Let's get to the bottom line. If you have not been in the habit of tithing, it's a scary step to take. I know that. I'm a Bible college student. I'm living on my own. I'm living on my own. I'm living in a house with six other guys, smelliest house I have ever been in in my life. And uh, um, I'm tithing. I'm working as a janitor. I'm trying to minister to kids. Uh, I'm paying off student loans. At the same time, I'm paying for Bible college because Bible college wasn't able to get deferred. And I'm, I'm cleaning the house, uh, the, the church one day. I'm following a vacuum through the fellowship hall. And I hear the Lord say this. He said, John, I want to talk to you about tithing on the net versus the gross. Yeah, I did what you would probably do. That's okay, I'm good. Like every week, you, I understand how this works. I get my check, I move the decimal point one to the left, and I write a check like that, and I, yeah. I, I was, I mean, money was so tight at that point for me that I was living off of Wendy's mom's uh, tuna casserole. That's like, if I didn't eat tuna casserole and steal from the food pantry at the church, some top ramen, uh, I wasn't going to make it. It was tight. I told that story once, and my mom was, like, devastated. Why didn't you tell me you were that poor? We would have given you food. Like, my only answer is, Mom, I was stupid. I don't know. So God was talking to me really probably about 40 bucks a month, maybe 50, on the high end. And I couldn't do it. I mean, I did the math. And it didn't work. And so I, I did what I would often do when I felt like the Lord telling me something I didn't want to hear. Um, I called somebody else to say if they would give me a different answer. Now understand, I really wanted to honor God. I wanted to do right by him. I wanted him to use me. I wanted him to work through me. Um, so I called a friend of my dad's who was a pastor. Why didn't you call your dad? Because I knew what he would have said. Uh, I was trying to get out of this. So I called a guy named Dick Spear. And, and I, you know, in my, in my best Bible college student voice, I just kind of laid it out for him, and I said, I'm, I'm sitting at this, do you remember those old brown tables we used to have at churches that weighed like 600 pounds because they were press board? I'm sitting at one of those, I'm on the church phone, and I, and I call him and he answers. I said, Dick, I got, a, I got a question for you. He goes, yeah? I said, does God want me to tithe on the net or the gross? Didn't find that in the Bible. And he goes, quiet for a minute. He says, John, I think you know the answer to that question. I started crying. Like, how could God ask me to do this? I am, I am living for him the best I can. I am barely hanging on. And now he wants me to give him something I don't even feel like I have to give. It wasn't about, this isn't a net versus gross conversation. This is just my heart and really trusting God for stewardship. I, I had this conversation with God that kind of went like, God, I, I need this to pay my bills. And God kind of went, it's not enough anyway. And then, of course, my response is, how is having less going to make it better? <laughs> Look for the return on your investment. Pulled out my checkbook, my lousy handwriting, wrote a check for 10% of the larger number. Wasn't much. Left it on the desk in the office for an offering and went about my day. 
25, 30 years later, I can tell you, I've never not had what I needed. But a lot of times I didn't have what I want. Wish it was 20 bucks for the boat. Man, I'd be down. I have never not had what I needed. God has always been faithful. And I've experienced an outpouring of his blessing. Every time I have wanted God to work through me, he has. Because in that day, I decided again, sometimes, guys, we've got to come to this place more than once. I'm going to be a steward. God, it's not mine. <laughs> I'll write the check, man, but if this bounces, never bounce the check. If you're here this morning, and, and this might be your last and greatest hurdle in your discipleship journey, and there's something in you that goes, John, I, I want to trust God that way. I, wanna, I want him to use me that way. I'm scared. I understand that. I also know that the love of God, the perfect love of God, casts out fear. And this is what I, as your friend, would encourage you to. Put God to the test. Over the next 90 days. All right, God, first fruits. When I get paid, that's the first check I'm going to write. You said I'd be okay. You didn't say I'd be okay. You said you would open the windows of heaven. Give him 90 days and see what he does. And if that's a step that you're ready to take in your discipleship journey, I would be so honored if you would email me. Not because I want to check up on you, but because I want to pray for you. And I want to agree with you. And then I want to celebrate with you when we see God keep his word to you. I'll put a note next to my computer. Every time I sit at my desk, I'll pray for you. Won't check up on you. I just want to pray for you. If we live in a nation that's just deeply encumbered by debt, our, our household debt is kind of off the charts. If if that's your, your present reality as well, and you're like, John, I would like to posture myself more as a generous person, but I'm just, I'm strapped. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm paying percentage on everything. Um, I don't say that to, to shame you or to guilt you or to condemn you, but, but to offer you some hope. Um, we have a, a class starting a week from Monday called Financial Peace University that will help you bring your finances into alignment, help you manage your debt, help you get out of your debt, help you posture yourself in such a way that when the Lord says go, you're able to go because you don't feel like you're dragging an anchor. That's no fun. So if we can help you with that, email us here at the church. It starts a week from Monday. Is this okay to have as a conversation? Talk about tithing. We're we doing all right? Everybody's still friends? We good? And of course, by everybody, I'm like, are you still my friend? Because nobody next to you said anything that would make you mad. I want to pray for you. I'm so excited about what happens when people lean into stewardship and what God makes possible. Jesus, we're just going to take you at your word. Lord, where, where our own pride has, has caused us to position ourselves as owners, where we've held on to things that you've entrusted to our care, Lord, we repent. Would you forgive us? 
And if it's fear that's led us to that, if it's, if it's pride, if it's, if it's selfishness, God, whatever it is, we just invite you by your spirit to flush it out of your system because that is our, our system because that is never gonna be as rewarding as living unfettered and free in your presence. Lord, would you help us to live out our responsibility as stewards of your creation? God, that the goodness of God can flow through us to others who are in need, whether it's finances or a word of encouragement or even hope. And Lord, I pray for those who, who this week may say, I am going to take God up on his challenge. I'm going to trust him for the next 90 days. The first check I'm going to write is 10% back to him. God, would you be quick in your response? Lord, not only a sense of your presence and your affirmation as they take that step of faith, but would you quickly open the floodgates of heaven and release the resources to them that they are showing you they are capable of managing on your behalf. Jesus, we love you. We're grateful for all that you've given, and we'll do our best to give it back. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.